As the drawdown of American forces from Vietnam continued in 1971, what battles tested American resolve and South Vietnamese capabilities? How did the mission of the U.S. Army change during the withdrawal? What happened after American combat forces left Vietnam in 1973? For answers to these questions and more insights, stay tuned. Welcome to the U.S. Army History and Heritage Podcast, the official podcast of the United States Army Center of Military History. The Center of Military History writes and publishes the Army's official history, manages the U.S. Army Museum Enterprise, and provides historical support throughout the U.S. Army. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. I'm Lee Reynolds, the Strategic Communications Officer for the Center of Military History. In this, our final episode of a five-part series on the Vietnam War, we're discussing the Army activities in Vietnam from 1971 to full withdrawal of forces and the eventual fall of Saigon in 1975. Joining me again to lead us through this discussion is Vietnam War historian Dr. Eric B. Villard. Welcome back, Eric. Thanks for joining me again. Great to be here. So Dr. Eric Villard is the digital military historian for the U.S. Army Center of Military History and one of the Army's leading Vietnam War historians. He wrote a volume in the U.S. Army Combat Operations in Vietnam War series titled Staying the Course, October 1967 to September 1968, which was published in December of 2017. He's currently working on the next book in that series, covering October 1968 to December 1969. And outside of CMH, Dr. Villard is the founder of the Vietnam War History Foundation, a nonprofit organization that has over 44,000 members on its Facebook group. He has also appeared as a historical advisor and analyst on many documentary projects, including to Ken Burns and Lynn Novick for their Vietnam War documentary series. A great series there, and I'm sure you contributed a lot to that. Uh, so now, Eric, what am I missing about your background? Oh, I think that's about it. Uh, <laughs> the fact that I'm a uh, avid video game player and have three <laughs> Shih Tzus that uh, keep me busy. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I again, Vietnam War is always uh, my passion, and it's great to, to be here in the, in the fifth uh, episode and kind of bring it all home. All right, great. Well, then let's just jump right back into it and pick up the discussion where we left off at the end of uh, 1970. Um, we had talked about the Cambodian incursion mm-hmm. and the uh, and the drawdown of American forces. So as 1971 begins, what's the situation on the ground? So by early 1971, uh, the Americans who still remain have basically um, stepped back from combat operations. Uh, there are some units that are capable of doing that, but the South Vietnamese are doing most of the fighting yeah. by this point. And this is going to be a big test um, because it, it, it is at now the point there aren't enough American ground troops around to do bigger operations. It has to be the South Vietnamese mm. who are going to have to take it from here. So with the w- withdrawal coming, I know you said we were, I think, a maximum of 540,000 mm-hmm. at some point in 1969. Yeah. We're now two years later. So yeah. about where we're, we we're under 200,000 wow. and going down. And again, you know, of, of those troops, there's still a lot of— 
you know, uh, service support and advisors and and other other folks. But the the number of combat units is mm-hmm. is is definitely uh, shrinking fast. So, what was the um, uh, what did the communists uh, do to engage American South Vietnamese forces during this time frame? So, this is again early seventy one. Uh, after a couple of very rough years for them. Uh, they are beginning to think about the next step. And uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, they have moved away from the idea of, you know, winning sort of a guerrilla war. They're going to launch a conventional invasion. So they spent a lot of 1970 building up the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Laos, this, this, this logistical pipeline to the point where they actually have fuel gas pipelines Oh, wow. Running down the trail, wow. um, they've got paved roads. They've got uh, hardened waypoints. Mm. They're thinking again about a blitzkrieg, so they have to be able to support tanks yeah. and trucks and artillery. So this is this is their big priority. Of course, just doesn't go unnoticed by the Americans mm-hmm. and South Vietnamese. And so, in early 1971, the South Vietnamese launch a cross-border operation into Laos mm-hmm. to cut the Ho Chi Minh Trail. This right. is something the Americans had talked about before, yeah. but had never done. Mm-hmm. Now here in early 71, the South Vietnamese are actually going to do it. The Americans will help, mm-hmm. um, principally um, aviation support, you know, helicopters flying them across the border, but not engaging in an active combat mm-hmm. role, but still supplying them with logistics. Right. So the South Vietnamese are going to take a couple of their best divisions mm to do this operation. This is going to be a real test for right. the South Vietnamese. Yeah, what was uh, American involvement? You, you mentioned aviation, mm-hmm. helicopters. Uh, what, what about um, uh, fast movers, Air, aircraft supporting the operation, artillery, that type of stuff? There, so Laos was, was always kind of a, 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 its own set of rules. Mm. So for most of the war, Southern Laos had been bombed by the Americans mm-hmm. significantly. Uh, because we saw it as an extension of the battlefield, and so we sort of gave it a special priority. Um, so American, you know, air power, you know, could be used, mm-hmm. but as much as possible, Nixon wants us to be a South Vietnamese show. He wants this to be a victory, you know, for President Chu, uh, a show that South Vietnamese have sort of arrived. Mm. And so the Americans will certainly help as as much as they can, but really not so much in a combat role, not so much in artillery. This is really going to be a South Vietnamese effort. So how effective was that, those well, attacks into Laos? Uh, it, it, it started off with, with some promise. Uh, South Vietnamese forces uh, crossed the border and advanced, you know, s- sort of, you know, fairly deep, you know, mm-hmm. heading towards their objective. But pretty soon, every kilometer got harder and harder yeah. as the North Vietnamese converged. Now, the mm-hmm. North Vietnamese had been spending years preparing for this ex- just same eventuality. I mean, mm-hmm. there, you know, there's it doesn't take a fool to understand <laughs> that there's only a couple of places where you yeah. can try to cut the... So they, they've been preparing. And mm-hmm. at this stage, they have very, very sophisticated weapons. So, for example, you talked about the American fast movers and the aviation. Well, this is now a point where the North Vietnamese have... Uh, radar-guided missiles in Laos. Oh, wow. They have radar-guided yeah. anti-aircraft guns. They mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, a ton of troops. So so 
early in the operation, the South Vietnamese start running into real trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is President Chu doesn't want to risk too many of those troops because they're his best. Mm-hmm. They're his most loyal. So he basically, he actually tells his commanders sort of behind the scenes, look, keep casualties down. Once you sort of reach that certain bingo, mm-hmm. then you need to come around, turn around and come back. Oh, and wow. that's essentially mm-hmm. what happened when they ran into real resistance uh, Chu decided that he needed to pull out some of his best troops. And at the end, some of those South Vietnamese troops ended up, you know, hanging off of a, American helicopter oh, yeah. skids, mm-hmm. you know, as they're being pulled away from, from the landing zone. Walk us through the rest of 1971. Were there any other significant battles that at least the U.S. forces were involved with? Uh, there were, there were, there were scattered engagements where, again, communist forces would attack an American firebase or something like that, but no Big U.S. operations, and the, the, and the communists understand that they're really going to focus their efforts on the South Vietnamese. So when the Americans do fight, it's usually coming to the assistance of oh. South Vietnamese forces. So there's still plenty of fighting, and um, but the, the a lot of the fighting now again is Viet, Vietnamese and Vietnamese. Yeah, uh, the Vietnamese army, you know, continuing to grow. I mean, it's it's approaching a million. Um, people under arms, mm-hmm. um, they have more sophisticated weapons, but you know they, they, they still don't have the quality that, that they need to get the job done themselves. And this is a, you know this is mm. clear to really everyone. And the, the communists seeing that the South Vietnamese haven't reached that standard, decide to go ahead with this big offensive in early 1972. Okay. Right, this blitzkrieg that they had been building up for. Right. So really up until then, they're keeping the pressure on. Keeping pressure on. It's a lot of, um, you might call it sort of, you know, village level war stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, No, not not too many Mm -hmm. big stand-up battles. Waiting out the Americans. Exactly, waiting out the Americans. So before we get to the offensive you're talking Mm -hmm. about, the Easter offensive, um, how has all this affected the American role? Where I mean, combat power is going away. Yeah, uh, numbers of troops are going away. So, what is the U.S. Army focusing on during this time? So, in this drawdown period, um, what the Americans are doing, in a way, is kind of reverting back to the early days, where the Americans are emphasizing some things that they do particularly well, which in some cases is continuing to be like close air support, mm-hmm. but also things, particularly things like armed helicopters. Right. Um, we still have a significant number of them there. And by this point in the war, the Americans are 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 beginning to employ some some very sophisticated weapons. So, for example, they're beginning to arm helicopters. We talked about the Huey. The right. Huey helicopter, Huey helicopter right, right. right. The iconic image, really, exactly. of the Vietnam War. So as a stopgap measure, they, they turned those into gunships, but they created something called a Cobra, an right. H-1 Cobra, which is basically a, a, a slimmed-down Huey mm-hmm. to serve as yeah. a gunship. Now, an attack think, helicopter. Exactly. Called, they're yeah. thinking ahead, but they're also thinking, um, understanding where the war is going, that they may need um, something uh, more powerful to deal with the North Vietnamese. So they'd be experimenting, for example, with, with guided anti-tank Missiles, mm. things like that. Is that the tow? The or, tow right, missile, tow exactly. Missile. So they're, they're they're beginning to work on some more uh, sophisticated weapons. So the Americans, to the extent that they're helping, are doing things like armed helicopters, mm-hmm. airstrikes. Advisors are still everywhere. 
um, logistically. Right. I, I think it's fascinating to to see that we're we're taking much more of an advisory capacity yes. at this point, kind of yes. like what we did in the lead up to the war. Right. As troops are withdrawing, we're advising. Sort of more. like uh, Benjamin Button. You know, you're sort of yeah. aging yeah, back. Age going, right. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, uh, so we get into 1972 yeah. and, and talk about the Easter offensive. What happened here? So, the, you know, the leaders in Hanoi. Uh, decide that the you know the time has come. Most American combat troops have left. Right, um, they communists have had a couple of years to build up their forces. So in early '72, they launch a massive conventional mm-hmm. invasion of South Vietnam from Laos and Cambodia. Right, and, and North Vietnam was the purpose of this to influence the Paris peace talks or. Was it let's get Vietnam now? Oh, we don't I have mean, to worry about I mean, talks. At, at this point, they they thought, hey, if we can win it on the battlefield, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really. I mean, the talks they're ongoing, but they haven't made a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the sides are still pretty far apart. This uh, what we call the Easter Offensive of 1972. Now, this was just like we're just going to cut out the middleman. We're just going to seize by force. All right. Uh, and and it what again invading from numerous locations, operating as divisions. They're using Soviet-made tanks, Soviet-made artillery pieces, trucks. I mean, this is this is like you know serious conventional war. Mm-hmm. And initially, it really pushes the South Vietnamese to the limit. They have to give ground in some places, um, but but pretty soon they 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 they. they hold the line at certain key places like Quang Tree and An Lok, mm-hmm. some of these uh, sort of these um, rural towns. Right. And the key thing is not only do they, you know, show great courage and resolve, but the American advisors who are still there can call them the big boys. So they yeah. can still yeah. call them the airstrikes, the B-52s, mm-hmm. the Cobra helicopters. So the combination of South Vietnamese fortitude mm-hmm. And American air power ends up uh, blunting this offensive. Oh wow! And so it it stops short of, of what the North Vietnamese objectives were, mm-hmm. and the North Vietnamese take tremendous losses in some cases. I mean, they, you know, they'll send a you know a whole company of, of of tanks into the attack, and you know, it goes up in a in in a you know in a mushroom not a mushroom cloud not nuclear but. Yeah. But, you know, in the space of 30 seconds, they're obliterated by a B-52 strike. So this offensive, it keeps going, sort of peters on for months and months and months, but it fails in its objective. And they initially captured land. You're saying mm-hmm. that the South Vietnamese were able to blunt that. Right. Did Were the North Vietnamese pushed back or did they maintain in, in, control of certain in, areas? In, in, in many places, most places, they were pushed back uh, to the border. They, they, they were not able to hold on to a whole lot of, at least territory that mattered. Yeah. Um, significant territory. Um, you know, by the summer, they pretty much given up those gains. And so this now again, brings the attention back to Paris. All right. Now that that has failed. Uh, and where are we now time-wise? Middle of uh, summer of 72. Summer of 72. Right. Okay. So clearly Nixon, um, you know, is, is eager to get some kind of peace treaty. The communist having failed in this offensive, are a little more willing to talk because that right. hadn't worked out yeah. too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the South Vietnamese uh, are getting kind of paranoid mm-hmm. with everyone, yeah. the Americans yeah. included, because they right. feel like they're getting kind of sold out. Mm. So 
the result of the, all of this is there's a flurry of negotiations that happen in the autumn. Finally, the Americans come up with sort of a peace formula that North Vietnam seems to be prepared to accept. And what's that? And these are just a set of conditions. Okay. Like the Americans will withdraw combat forces. The North Vietnamese will return POWs. There will be a sort of ceasefire in place. Well, didn't we already withdraw like our combat forces in August of 72? Uh, yeah, we had no ground combat units ground anymore, combat. but we still had advisors. That was uh, August 11th, right, right. of 72. Yeah. So we still had some military personnel and and – we had the, you know, we had the Navy, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we could still exert. So we had air power there. We still had air power. Uh, both uh, helicopter, Cobras. Um, air Force, B-52s. I mean, you still had okay. the ability mm -hmm. to influence the situation. And, of course, the North Vietnamese wanted that just to be done. And then logistical support. We logistical had the country support, as well right. and the advisors. Right. Okay. Uh, the problem is, at the final hour, and this is sort of, you know, in the autumn of 72, and it's hard to blame him. President, too, the South Vietnamese president, looks at this deal and goes, I don't like it. Because, among other things, it does not require the North Vietnamese to pull their troops out of South Vietnam. And if that's not going to happen, like, really, what right. kind of a piece is it? Mm -hmm. So there's a, a, a again, a, a, a sort of a um, back and forth to demand certain changes. The North Vietnamese then say, no, we're not going to sign and this leads to um, a B-52 bombing campaign against North Vietnam, Operation Linebacker 2. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they like call the Christmas bombings because right. it happened during that time. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So this was the one time in the war when the U.S. actually used B-52s mm. to bomb North, North Vietnam. Vietnam. Before that, they had been strike fighters of one kind okay. or another. But now mm -hmm. these are the B-52s. Right. Again, the big bombers of the day. Big bombers. Yeah. Now, they're not just indiscriminately bombing civilian areas in mm -hmm. Hanoi, like, you know, World War II. Um, but they are, you know, military target destroying everything that is you know, a military value. And did they just do that into Viet I mean, uh, North Vietnam, or did they also do that at, to the logistics bases in Cambodia? No, and this, is, this, is a, this is a focus on North Vietnam again, and this is very much Nixon's way of saying, look, I can keep this up all day. You better come back and sign the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did two, uh, the president well, of South Vietnam, uh, feel about that? At this point, he understood mm -hmm. that his options were dwindling. And the best he could hope for was that after this peace treaty, the Americans, you know, left as troops, mm -hmm. they would continue to keep providing the military assistance, which we said and we would. define that, though. I so mean, that would, for example, people, not people, but—, but Weapons. Weapons, okay. Fuel, money. Would we do airstrikes after no, this? No, no. We our, our combat role would end. So that vital that, piece yes, of air right, cover that is, really protected them right. during the Easter yeah, um, no, that would be, offensive that would, that was That would gone. go away. Yeah. That would go away. Okay. But in all uh, other ways, we'd still be providing the war material. Mm -hmm. So that was the best really two could hope for at this point. And so in, indeed, that's what happens the various powers finally agreed to sign the accords in, in Paris. And so... And that was in January, wasn't January, it? January 1973. And then our, the last date for U.S. Uh, well, combat was gone, but yeah. basically U.S. Uh, well, military or, uh, operations right. 
would be the, the U.S. Joint March. Command, like Military Assistance mm-hmm. Command, Vietnam, or what right. was left of it. You know, s- officially stands down on 29 March 1973. Right. So as a Military role, the mission ends officially mm-hmm. on that day. Did we leave anybody there afterwards in any capacity? Yes, in the, in the sense that, for example, we still had an embassy. Okay. Right. So you, you had Marine guards at the embassy and you had any advisors, state, advi- state officials. Not really. I mean, not to speak of, mm-hmm. at least not. Okay. I mean, no, for all intents and purposes, all our military personnel, mm-hmm. other than just doing security duties or whatever. Yeah. We're now out so of gone the as of March 29th, 1973, yeah. and that right. March 29th date is is important because I want to uh, jump ahead and just and just note that that um, you know a lot of Vietnam veterans would use March 29th mm-hmm. as a day uh, to hold ceremonies, um, but uh, starting in January in in March of 2017, mm-hmm. uh, March 29th became a national holiday for it was the National Vietnam, Vietnam. War Veterans yep. Day. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I think we just passed over. Uh, we've had five since, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, since. So that's um, that's a day to honor our our Vietnam veterans and um, uh, with special recognition to our POWs and MIA. Right. Um, because uh, the AIM, MIA, there's still a significant amount, isn't uh, there? You know, nearly sixteen hundred mm. uh, personnel are still unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. Um, now the mission to locate or uh, account for them continues. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a um, tremendously honorable uh, and very you know difficult assignment. The mm-hmm. you know, Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency uh, undertakes this with very very strong Vietnamese help. Yeah, these days, right? And, days. and um, when did that help really? Um, this I mean, start this, getting that from. I them? mean, the, we actually began working. Um, to build this thing in the 80s. So by mm-hmm. the 90s, yeah. actively having teams out combing through jungles looking for remains or signs, and they have been successful in hundreds of cases. Yeah, I, I mean, we still hear you know, every once in a while somebody is, is identified right. Uh, uh, right. And, and brought back. So on that March 29th in 1973, the last U.S. forces uh, departed, and I, I remember, I'm, I'm old enough mm-hmm. to remember watching... Um, the homecoming, yeah, for our POWs. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you remember offhand how many POWs that we had? And and what we usually say is it's the acknowledged POWs. Yeah, they were, were yeah, released. I say, it, it, yeah. Um, and, and in fact, uh, uh, one one of the one of the uh, one of the POWs, and and I ha- um I have some really great photos of, of his uh, homecoming. Hal, Hal Kushner. For those of you who who've seen the uh, Burns and Novik. Vietnam War documentary, he's he's one of the people on there who speaks, and he spent a number of years in captivity. Uh, he was a first cavalry division guy and captured, and and uh, and then came home in '73. And uh, it, it really, the lengths that, of course, you know, the the DoD, but the army, you know, went to, and not just the POWs, of course, but their families and the readjustment. Yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's incredibly emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I just saw Hal Kushner uh, a month or two ago. He's uh-huh. still Good. working as an ophthalmologist. Right. Yeah. And, you know, people like Senator John McCain, yeah, you know, yeah. he was uh, he was released then too. Um, mm-hmm. Emotional time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some healing going on, yeah. uh, I, I think, in, in the United States at that point. Um, so now that we're out of the war officially mm-hmm. – um, a change, right? Because we we've been we've had a draft 
um, an army right. that's been drafting people um, at least through the duration of this. I don't know if it went away yeah, after so, Korea or what. Yeah, there, um, there have been periods in our history where we have instituted a draft in wartime or, or sometimes in peacetime, but it was really uh, during and after World War II that the draft not only went into effect but stayed because of the Cold War. Right. But at the end of the Vietnam War, um, really sort of the end of 73, we do away with the draft and move to an all-volunteer force, which, of course, we have today. And that was a big, big, you know, uh, change. Yeah, almost 50 years of an Mm -hmm. all-volunteer force. And uh, it's a testament, I think, to the nation um, that, you know, one— uh, military as strong as as ours, yeah. um, as fierce. That it's all volunteer. And again, I, I, I've talked to people from other countries who um, I've told them that. I mean, in in recent years, mm-hmm. and they don't realize that people don't understand because there is mandatory service, if only for six months, right? Or a in year, a lot of in a lot of yeah. places uh, around the world, even in Europe, and they can't believe that we're an all volunteer force. Yeah. And again, just to be clear, you know. Um, you know, a, a significant number of uh, soldiers in Vietnam, you know, were, were, were drafted and, and fought, you know, just as well oh, right. as it, right. So mm-hmm. there's that, there's not that, yeah. but, but in the modern era, there is something special about stepping forward and raising yes. your hand and right. saying, this is what I want to do. I mm-hmm. want to serve our country. And, and, and I will say that a lot of those draftees, they went on to have amazing careers. Absolutely. Um, um, and, and just uh, from a personal note, when I started, I was enlisted initially, but then did ROTC and in the uh, early 80s. And my instructors, my NCOs, E6s up through Sergeant Major, they were Vietnam War draftees. Mm-hmm. And they they made a life out of it. And um, even that one E6 that I had, he retired as a Sergeant Major. Great, great people. Uh, oh, absolutely. Great, great I mean, they, so. the, the experience, the hard one experience mm-hmm. that they that they learned – help shape, you know, the army that, that, uh, you know, developed in, in the decades to follow, you know, some of those, there, there were some, you know, tough years in the mid seventies, but the army never stopped learning and transforming. And and some of those junior mid-level officers in Vietnam went on to become senior, you know, army leaders and innovators and just, you know, took those lessons and, and, and transformed the army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so just, uh, you know, a, a part of this is just recognizing and, and honoring the service of all our Vietnam veterans. Um, yeah. Very grateful for, uh, for and, their and service. And everyone who supported the Vietnam veterans, the USO folks Absolutely. and, you know, all yeah. those people too. It, it was a tough time to serve. So w- whether they went in as a, as a draftee mm-hmm. or they volunteered and there were a significant amount who volunteered as well. So, yeah. um, and whether uh, they were them. combat arms or right. they were a clerk yeah, they all or, served. That doesn't matter. They all serve. Absolutely. And, you know, I know some people I've spoken to who, who actually volunteered, didn't go to Vietnam. They went to Europe. Yeah, <laughs> Much yeah. to their own surprise. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so great. No. So it's, it's important to, to recognize the, the, the service um, of, of all of our veterans. And we're very grateful for that. Um, but now after 1973, um, what happens well, in Vietnam? Uh, we, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 the final chapter of that is, uh, you know, is, it's, it's a tragic one in many ways. Um, the South Vietnamese continue, you know, to fight valiantly. The, the war never ends for them. But uh, by 74, situation is, is, is becoming um, untenable. Back home here in the States, of course, we have the, uh, the, the Nixon 
the Watergate, uh, Watergate uh, drama, and and Congress basically says, okay, we're cutting off funding for Southeast Asia. We don't want to go back, mm-hmm. and so the South Vietnamese um, progressively weaken, and the North Vietnamese launch another invasion in the very end of seventy four. So by April seventy five, they in fact mm-hmm. take over the entire country, and it becomes you know. A, a a single Vietnam, which of course it is today, mm-hmm. um, and and there's of course you know many stories that happen afterward. Maybe in another episode we can talk about you know the refugees and the boat right. people and some folks who the humanitarian left, crisis I right mean, who left quite young. But mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I know several of them uh, mm-hmm. who, for example, went on to become army officers and even army generals. And generals too, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know that's another story for another time. The, the big takeaway from this, I mean, what, one of the lessons learned I, 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 as, as a historian of this era, what, what's, what are the big lessons learned that we in, in, the, in the military should know and understand uh, from the Vietnam era? Uh, I think, you know, if, if I had to boil it down to something mm-hmm. like that, um, I would say that it's important to learn from your experiences and and not just experiences that you prefer to learn from not 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 the <laughs> yeah, not point. the desert storm where right. you win in 100 hours and yeah. you know learn from the mistakes learn right. from the setbacks learn from the really difficult and and again so much of the army we have now you know sort of came out of lessons of Vietnam like yeah. you know, things like uh, night vision technology mm-hmm. right which which we are supreme at that began in Vietnam right we were using drones mm-hmm. over North Vietnam, unmanned drones, mm-hmm. you wow. know, in 1960. We Even were using then, wow. pre- uh, precision-guided munitions. We were using all sorts of sensor technology. I mean, things that we take for granted today, um, they were developing back then. So we, 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 we still very much owe a lot to that generation. Yeah, and very, again, one's um, uh, very grateful for their service. And uh, it's fitting that we now have uh, the National Vietnam War Veterans um, uh, Day. Day, <laughs> yeah. To, to, yeah. To, to, to recognize. I mean, yeah. and, and of course, there are other days like Memorial Day and Veterans Day, mm-hmm. which are significant in their own way, but the Vietnam veterans, um, you know, ought to have their due. And so March 29, you know, let's make it special. And just a reminder, too, that a lot of our current active units, National Guard, mm-hmm. Reserve units. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, how, how much of a role did the Army Reserve and National Guard play in service to Vietnam? So after the Tet Offensive, there was a period um, where the U.S. actually did a sort of a mini surge. Mm-hmm. And so it actually did send over a number of National Guard mm-hmm. And some reserve units, and they and most of them served for about a year or so. But primarily throughout the war, it was an active duty right. mission, right? Not a- uh, yeah, not like what we've seen not, in recent not, wars, right? Not how we tend to fight now. Okay. Uh, and again, nothing against the National Guard or reserves. It just at the time, it was so politically sensitive. But with the draft, we had a larger we did military have a larger force, force at the time. Yeah, it right. wasn't like the old volunteer force now. Right. Yeah, because uh, yeah, part of the overall force is all these Although days. Although I will is, say yeah. that's another thing that we, a trend we started in Vietnam, which um, I guess you can have different feelings about, is the use of contractors. Oh yeah, uh, because we 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 relied on a couple uh, Kellogg Group Brown 
PA and E, some big, big contracting companies to do some important work in Vietnam that mm-hmm. might otherwise have been performed by uh, military personnel. And part of the reason was space limits. Our 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 oh, deal yeah. with Congress was we have a certain number of troops in South Vietnam. Well, these are not troops, mm-hmm. right? This so is the civilians that we pay to do these jobs. Right. This is more like the Hua trivia. Yeah, for this, yeah uh, so this exactly. Episode. Yeah, but uh, so let, let's just uh, get into. That. I mean, this has been a great uh, discussion over these five episodes. Mm-hmm. Really covered. Uh, what happened from the strate- strategic level, the tactical level, the weapons. Um, so um, thank you for all of these discussions. And um, I think uh, let's uh, just transition then into the the, the, the HUA trivia. We, earlier we talked about the volunteer force, mm-hmm. um, but I think there's some cameramen that uh, that – yeah, this, uh, an interesting role yeah. in Vietnam. Yeah, so you know, this is a this is a, a shout out to a, a lot of my people who became really good friends of mine um, as I became a Vietnam War researcher. Uh, I was really drawn to the images, the photos. Mm-hmm. You know, so many and, and and so many of them were not from UPA or AP or the commercial. These were army photographers, right. and so uh, there were two organizations in particular. Uh, the 221st Signal Company and uh, DASPO, Department of Special Photographic Office. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some others, but those are the principal ones where they had soldiers who were trained as either still cameramen or, or film motion or film mm-hmm. uh, cameramen and sent not just to Vietnam, in various parts of the world, but, but mm-hmm. particularly to Vietnam. Yeah. And so a lot of the most iconic images yeah. that you see of the war were, were, were taken by these, mm-hmm. these guys. And these guys, you know, some of them had really no experience before. Mm-hmm. Um, they were crackerjack. And they yeah. were on the front line mm-hmm. getting these images. So again, and shout out. they were traveling out. around by themselves? Oh, I mean, lot, this, right? is, this is just... back in the day where they could just uh, you know, walk up to a, a Huey with the blade spinning and say <laughs> to the crew chief, hey, you got a, you got a space for me. Again, you know, these camera in their army, like, sure, yeah. jump aboard. Right. So mm-hmm. they could go yeah. wherever and film pretty much whatever. Yeah, and I think they played a critical role. You know, it's Absolutely. especially these days when we look back, as you mentioned, a lot of the most iconic images were taken by these folks yeah. who were who were soldiers, right? And in and without those images, it's like you know what they say with Matthew Brady in the Civil War. Yeah, mm-hmm. would would we think of it the same way? So you know, you know, encourage you. You can go online. We we actually did a special uh, CMH uh, show with the National Archives. Yes, with yeah. some of these Daspo photographers, and a lot of their images are available. Absolutely. And how, how can people uh, access some of those uh, images if they'd like to? Many of them are available through our Vietnam War CMH website. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I have collected tens of thousands, and I continue to uh, uh, restore and post even more. Um, so do check out our website, and again, I'll I will be continuing to to increase the number, but but the the quality is 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 amazing. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, personally, I hope we can do, maybe do a special exhibit at the uh, National Museum of the U.S. Army at some, some point. Well, we'll have to talk with them we'll about that. We'll have to that. talk yeah, about that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Eric. This has been uh, a fascinating five episodes on the Vietnam War. And thanks for all your, your time and, and your efforts here at the Center of Military History. And we look forward to your new publication uh, coming out that you're working yep. on. Yep. 
So um, now if anyone else uh, uh, wants to learn more about the Vietnam War or Army history in general, please explore our website, as Eric was talking about, at history.army.mil. And you can also access all of our publications from the website. They are available as free PDF downloads, or you can purchase them from the government publishing office. And if you want to experience Army history every day, be sure to visit our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join us every week on this podcast for more in-depth discussions about Army history as we cover topics from all eras of the U.S. Army history, examining battles, soldier experiences, equipment, weapons, and tactics. Thanks for joining us today on the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. For the Center of Military History, I'm Lee Reynolds, and until next time, we're history. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or opinions of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. For more information about the Army's proud history and heritage, go to history.army.mil.com.